Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. It's not hyperbole now to say that Georgia is the center of the political universe. Georgia. 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 North Georgia. It's kind of the new swing state and it's symbolic of many political movements and changes that we're seeing. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Maya King. And I cover national politics and campaigns. On Georgia. Georgia. You guessed it. Georgia. 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 And Republican efforts to take aim at the Democratic engine that turned Georgia blue in 2020. I think really in 2018, uh, with the governor's race between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, mm. It really poured rocket fuel into this, uh, this status or this this apparatus network of of organizers who saw uh, democratic success, particularly in the deep south, as as very very possible. And now in 2022, you have all of these things coming back, but in a different way. And let's dig into some of those ways. The highest profile elections in Georgia in 2020 went to Democrats. President Biden, Senators Warnock and Ossoff, but the state legislature in Georgia is Republican, and in March of this year passed one of the nation's most restrictive voting bills. And now you have a new piece where you're writing about more efforts to overhaul the number of elected officials and draw new congressional maps. Can you put these efforts into perspective? Georgia went from being kind of a, an automatic Republican win a deep red state to very much a a purple trending blue, if you ask certain Democrats state, particularly in Metro Atlanta, uh, DeKalb County and, and parts of Fulton have always been uh, Democrats domains, but now they've taken Gwinnett and Cobb counties as well. Those mm-hmm. used to be Republican bastions that have now, thanks to uh, demographic changes and uh, more active and heavily involved organizing on the part of Democrats have really been uh, pretty safely blue areas as well. So what we're talking Mm -hmm. about is a state that's gone from, again, really solidly, safely Republican to now, especially in, in Metro Atlanta, a much more comfortable place for Democrats to run and win. But you recently wrote a piece that's basically like, it's become a more comfortable place for Democrats to run and win, but a current GOP legislature is redrawing maps and putting certain things into place in hopes that 2022 is not more of the same that we saw in 2020. Can you kind of outline for detail what you wrote about? Yeah, essentially, they're aiming to make it uh, less comfortable <laughs> for, for Democrats to run and win. Mm-hmm. After the losses that Republicans took in 2020, they saw that a lot of this was driven by demographic changes and also geographic changes in the state. Uh, what I'm writing about is a, a handful of, of moves that Republicans have made in the last really month to six weeks that are kind of slowing down that progress or brunting the force of of some of these efforts that Democrats have made. So redistricting is the biggest, at least most pronounced result that we see, particularly Mm -hmm. in Cobb County, uh, where Republicans have sort of cut it up into four pieces rather than originally where it was. Now what's taking place is 
two very high-profile, well-liked Democrats in the, in Congress are now going to have to face off in a single district outside of Cobb. And who are they? And that's Lucy McBath, uh, who currently is representing Georgia's 6th Congressional District that is now uh, under these newly rewritten lines, absolutely not safe for any Democrat to run. It would be, I believe, Trump plus 12 uh, if wow. he were to run in 2024. Uh, just looking at the profile of people who live in it, and Carolyn Bordeaux, who currently is in Georgia's 7th District. So the two congresswomen in 2022 now will run against each other in the 7th District, which remains pretty safely Democratic, and is located largely in Gwinnett County, another county that's seen some significant demographic changes over the past several years with large populations of Black, uh, Latino, and Asian American voters. So that's a lot of background <laughs> for you to kind of set the stage for for why the stakes are so high, why Democrats want to cling to power, and why Republicans want to, too, which is what makes this story kind of difficult to talk about or really uh, break down into into just like more than one or two pieces. And in this difficult to talk about or hard to break down story, what are some of the lingering questions that you have? I guess the big question that I come away with after finishing the story is whether or not the governor, um, we know he will sign these maps into law, at least before the first of the year, but whether they will actually be able to hold up in the face of the avalanche of legal uh, challenges they'll face in the courts. Democrats and Democrat-aligned groups already have said that they plan to sue on behalf really of voters to to try to reverse some of these maps, which they say are just like blatant displays of gerrymandering. For me, what I want to know is if Republicans will really be able to see this through. If this map, as mm -hmm. we see it now, that really does cut Democrats off at the knees, if that's what is going to be set in stone for the next 10 years, I think continues, doesn't really set, but continues a really dangerous precedent. This is how one county chair described it to me, lawmakers picking their voters rather than the other way around. I'm going to ask you to put your prediction hat on. Watching these shifts you've been reporting on, what do you see as happening in 2022 in Georgia, or is it just too early to tell? Yeah, I mean, you mean like winners or losers? Yeah, like winners or losers. Like Ultimately, is what you were writing about, was it the fact that these things are happening and we don't actually know yet how much they'll move the needle? Well, we know that it's going to make it just that much more difficult for Democrats to be successful. I mean, this what happened in 2020 was no small thing. We know now with the um, election of two Democrats, two Democratic senators, and then, of course, Joe Biden being the, the first Democrat in like 25 years to win the state. That was remarkable. Yeah. But it's the product of decades and decades of, of grassroots organizing and the open availability of of elections, the the enfranchisement of voters was also what made that possible. And what we're seeing now is kind of the opposite. So less so with gerrymandering, though that's a big part of this, but also looming large over all of this in Georgia is the new and increasingly restrictive voting law that is in place. Uh, in the state, it passed it earlier in the spring of 2021, but we'll see really its first major test in the 2022 midterms. Uh, Democrats mm. have repeatedly pushed for federal legislation, uh, the For the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, um, 
two, two, two very sweeping pieces of voting rights legislation that have failed repeatedly in the Senate um, to try to, to blunt the force of some of these um, provisions in the law. Things like a limited number of ballot drop box locations, really small runoff windows that uh, make it more difficult for folks to actually campaign in a runoff, um, smaller early, excuse me, shorter early vote periods. Um, and this is just what I can think of, you know, chatting with you. There's a lot more at work here that's just going to make it difficult for low-income voters, rural voters, working voters, um, in, uh voters who might not vote in every single election. Um, and all of these tend to fall under the umbrella of voters of color, and those tend to fall under the umbrella of Democratic voters. So the writing is on the wall, I think, for the party in 2022, if they're not able um, to to pass federal legislation that makes some of these provisions illegal um, or or really, yeah, allows for policies that would further enfranchise voters. Uh, But we're not Mm -hmm. seeing that right now. And so I think that's why the voices um, in my story and others that are saying, look, this is not something I can out-organize. This is not something that we can do on our own. I think the calls for change are just going to get louder and louder. Whether or not anything actually comes of that, though, um, it's just too early to tell. Mm -hmm. If Republicans are able to draw a straight line between the passage of SB 202 and their own success atop the ballot statewide in 2022, I wouldn't be surprised to see even more restrictions or more restrictive voting rights bills passed in states where there are Republican-held state legislatures. This bill being held up as a sort of vanguard and a blueprint of how now, in the face of changing demographics um, and, and the success and influence of grassroots political movements on the Democratic side, you can try to maintain your own power and make sure that your voters have an easier time of getting you elected. And then at the same time, you have these dynamics of Raphael Warnock actually now running for a full term when he won. It was in a, a special seat. So he was he's only really been a senator for less than a year, though, if he wins in 2022, he'll have his full uh, six year term. And that would establish a legacy not only for him, but I think um, for for the black church and Ebenezer and his running alongside Stacey Abrams. Um, lots of ifs here, but there is also the legacy of the New Georgia Project. He sat on the board um, and was the chair of the board for a long time, is closely allied with the leaders of that organization. And Abrams, of course, founded the organization. So those two have been friends and known each other for a long time. Now they're going to be running alongside one another, of course, raising a ton of money, but also drawing more attention like to that model of organizing and uh, to that specific uh, that specific organization um, that you know that would have major major influence uh, at more so than it already does after next year and that's just what I'm kind of rattling off the top of my head there's probably way there's a lot more else at stake than um, even those of us who are covering this are trying to map that out right now. Uh, But really exciting. It's a really exciting time, I think. Maya King, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. 
Also today, USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committees have agreed to pay a $380 million settlement to hundreds of survivors of sexual abuse by former team doctor Larry Nasser. And the Air Force has discharged 27 people for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine, making them what officials believe are the first service members to be removed for disobeying the mandate to get the shots. The Air Force gave its forces until November 2nd to get the vaccine. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.